かちゃちゃちゃちゃ e e q q q q u u u u u e e e e l l l l sequel cast now Jason Bourne just popped up on the grid in Naples he's playing their game he's making his first mistake they don't make mistakes on his terms He's doing exactly what he said he'd do. He's coming for us. This summer. Why are they still after me? I don't know. We can play these games forever. Yeah, he's not in front of you. You can't see it. Forget it. He's gone. Let's play a little offense. You have no idea what you're getting into. They know you're here and they're coming for you now. How long do I have? Matt Damon is Jason Bourne. <laughs> The Bourne Supremacy. Samuel Landy. This is Jason Bourne. Bourne? What did I say? If I even feel somebody behind me, I will bring this fight to your doorstep. Trace it. Where is he? Right next to you. Hello and welcome to the Sequel Cast. The Sequel Cast is a show where we talk about movies in a franchise one movie at a time. I am Matt, and with me is Sabrina. Hello. And we're in the middle of looking at the、uh, Bourne trilogy. With、uh, this episode is on the Bourne supremacy. You just heard a little bit from the trailer there. This is the second one in the series. That's right. It's confusing, isn't it? It is. That's that's one of the issues that I'd like to、uh, talk about today. Okay. We'll, yes. We'll get to that, I'm sure. Uh huh. But before we move on to Bourne supremacy, we're going to have a fascinating conversation about vacuums. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> we we're seriously, we're not kidding. <laughs> we because we both bought.、Uh, Got vacuums this weekend. We're so exciting! Yeah, we're exciting people. We got appliances. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! So, what's your vacuum story, Sabrina? Um, I had a vacuum a while ago, and it busted,、mm-hmm. and so、oh. I've been kind of borrowing、uh, through the very、uh, generous kindness of other people. No, when it busted, did it just flat out break, or did it work? It just didn't, didn't suck as much. You know, it didn't. It didn't. It yeah, it didn't suck as much as it used to. And I、okay. mean, I'm at this point. I'm a very、um, prolific. I mean, not prolific, but I'm a very, very good problem solver of figuring out why things. Why? Excuse me. Why vacuums don't suck?、Mm. I don't want to say things、mm-hmm. because I'm not going to go there.、Um, but I. It just like the hose always was clogged. It didn't matter what I did. You、yeah. know, I like took the whole thing. I mean, I literally took the whole thing apart、mm-hmm. and put it back together. It's like I became very versatile with the screwdriver and the whole bit. And I'm like, all right, this is just not working. But I had the vacuum cleaner for like four years. It was a cheap, you know,、uh, like dust, but not a dustbuster with a. Dirt Devil or something like that.、Okay. I mean, it was an upright. It was like for small spaces or for you know, like hey, it's apartment living, small、right. places, whatever.、Um, so I'd just been using some friends' vacuum cleaners, and、uh, I finally broke down and I bought one. And it was either between a vacuum cleaner or a、uh, new haircut because、mm. uh, there was like a really really good deal、uh, going on with a、uh, cut, a color, a brow wax, like the whole bit. It was like the same price as the vacuum cleaner. Yeah. So I did the responsible adult thing and I got the freaking vacuum cleaner, which is fine because honestly. I really, really, really enjoy vacuuming. Yeah. Wow. I, I know. More than laundry, huh? Oh, way more than yeah, laundry.、Okay. Yeah. If I were to like have priorities, vacuuming would be at the top. Okay. Laundry, 
the bottom. I see. Yes. Vacuum I wish top. that I could vacuum my laundry. Oh, there you go. And then it would just like magically be clean. I wish I had the, uh, what is it, Rosie the Robot from the Jetsons. That would be cool. Yeah. And I think you could put laundry in her stomach and it would wash and dry it in there. I don't know. That would be pretty cool. I I, cool. I went to uh, Hell on Earth this weekend. I went to Walmart. Yeah. And, oh. uh, and that's where they had the deal on the vacuum. Yeah. I mean, and I've seen it like for the past like three uh-huh. or four weeks. It's just been sitting on an end cap. It was like $42 or something like that. 45 hmm. bucks. I'm like, you know what? It's fine. It's a new... Um, I don't even remember the brand of it now, but, um, oh. you know, it's good. It's supposedly for pets or whatever. And, oh, okay. you know, I'm like, all right. So I, um, I got it. I got it home. I took it out of the box. I assembled it and I used it. And oh my God, you guys, I was so happy. Oh, good. Yeah, I was really happy. Yeah. And I really like it when they don't have like the bags. They just have like the little clear thing mm-hmm. that like all the dirt gets sucked into. And you're like, oh my God, look at all that dirt. Yeah, it's pretty easy. Wow. Look at what I've been walking in. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, uh, so I I you know did one room and then I went into the other and it was great and I like how much dirt it collects and it makes me feel good and clean. Oh good. I know it's really lame. Sorry. What's yeah, your vacuum story? My vacuum story is my wife and I have gone through about a vacuum a year for the past like three years. I, I don't know like we have two cats and and a dog now, so there's a lot of animal hair with that. And other because otherwise we don't try to walk around the house with our shoes on to try and make things less dirty. Right. But. What, for whatever reason, these vacuums keep on clogging. And this last vacuum we had, we bought new for about $100 from Fred Meyers. It wasn't on sale or anything. And it had a big thing, a sign on it, similar to yours, where it's like, oh, it's good for pet allergens. And this model had a had a cord where you pull out the cord and plug it in, and then you push a pedal, and it retracts the cord yeah, automatically. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that jammed on our vacuum after, like, three weeks. Oh. Because you're supposed to... I don't know. I guess it can jam easy. It can, yeah. That's and when, once it's jammed, it, you're kind of screwed. you got to take it to a place to get it fixed. We never got ours fixed. We just plugged ours into an extension cable. Oh, that'll work. I mean, that would, be, that. that would work, yeah. But um, anyway, so this thing broke, and we we're looking for a new vacuum. And on Twitter, I've been talking a while to uh, a guy called Ryan Gallagher, who he's a host of a movie podcast called The Criterion Cast. That's about, uh, they have a series of DVDs and Blu-rays from a company called Criterion. And he sort of reviews those with uh, his other host on the show. And it's like classic black and white movies like Seven Samurai or it's not just black and white stuff, but it's stuff considered classics, a lot of foreign films. And uh, he happened to have a vacuum, an extra vacuum lying around that he was selling for uh, 10 bucks. So a pretty good deal. Wow. Turn that down. Yeah. So I got to meet him in person for the first time and that was fun. Cool. I got to talk to him for like five minutes and then I had to go. But wow. it's still pretty cool. I mean, it's a little bit weird when you meet someone you've just known through the internet, whether it's Twitter or email uh-huh. in person. Yeah. Even if you've seen photos and you're like, well, I know what this person looks like. Yeah. It's still kind of strange. Uh, yeah, it is. And maybe that's like a conversation for another time. But yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it's... you. Uh, I'm always the kind of person I'm like, oh, and then you put like the name or the avatar, you know, you put the, uh-huh. you put all the, the three and three together. You're like, oh yeah. Oh my God. You're on Twitter. Hey, nice to meet you. I always get really excited when I meet Twitter mm-hmm. people and they're like, hey, how's it going? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Fine. Um, how are you? You just totally ruined my enthusiasm for meeting you. Thanks a lot. Person. I think I did that when we first met in person. Uh, yeah, I think, I think you did. You're like, I'm sequel cast. Hey, how you doing? Okay. Over okay. for trivia. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a pleasure meeting you, obviously, because well, now sure. we're working together, so yeah. it's great. Yeah. So let's move on to talking about <laughs> vacuums to a uh, born supremacy. To something that doesn't suck. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Wow, people are like you guys, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> 
So uh, the Born Identity, you might recall, came out in 2002. The sequel, uh, Born Supremacy, came out in 2004. And uh, it was directed by a different director. Uh, Doug Lyman did the first one, but he's a producer on this one. But the director of uh, this one, and he also directed the third one, Ultimatum, was uh, Paul Greengrass, who before this only did one movie called Bloody Sunday that was uh, like, like an Irish movie mm-hmm. about violence in Ireland through the years. I haven't, I haven't seen it. I've heard it's good. But after uh, Born Supremacy, he did a movie called Flight, uh, or sorry, United 93. Okay, that sounds the, familiar. Uh, yeah, yeah. Planes on September 11th. I think it's the one that crashed in Pennsylvania or something. Oh, okay. Huh. Not one of the more well-known planes. But it's something that came pretty uh, shortly after, well, relatively quickly after September 11th. You had a few of those movies. You know, like Nicolas Cage was in a World Trade Center movie. and Yeah. Whatever, but... So that's the stuff Paul Greengrass has done. And he's worked with Matt Damon a lot. Recently, they did a movie called The Green Zone. That's sort of an that Iraq was a good war one. drama. Was it? Yeah. I have seen it. Yeah, I watched that one. I saw that one in the theater. Okay. Uh, just because I wanted... And I, it was weird because I went by myself. I'm like, yeah. I just kind of want to see a violent action war movie because I'm a girl and that's mm-hmm. just what we do, apparently. Okay. So yep. it was actually... I didn't know that Paul Greengrass did that one. Awesome. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Okay, cool. So it had a budget of $75 million and uh, was, again, a success, like the first. Uh, domestically made 176 Ooh. Worldwide, 288 Dude, they did good. They did really good. They made more money than the first, but, uh, you know, it's still pretty good. And um, opening weekend, this came out in the U.S. in uh, 2004. It was the number one movie, Born Supremacy. Wow. Number two was the Will Smith movie, I, Robot. Wait, whoa, that's really cool that a Bourne movie beats out a Will Smith movie. Well, the Will Smith movie opened the week before, but oh, still. Oh, okay. Because usually, well, with, usually yeah. with movies, the first weekend they come out, the number one movie won't stay for two weeks. But sometimes that'll happen. Like recent movie, The Help, which is some drama or something, I haven't seen it, uh-huh. has been number one for two weeks in a row. And then yeah. maybe a Rise of Planet of the Apes was number one for two weeks in a row. So, I mean, sometimes that happens if it's a huge blockbuster like Avatar. I'm very disappointed in the number three movie. Yeah, the number three movie, uh, uh, the week this came out, was uh, Catwoman. You know, I never yeah, saw Halle this. Berry. But I, I've wanted to see it. but re- Why it, would you say that, Matt? I've heard, I'm just hoping it's like campy and funny, but I don't think it'll be much of either. I don't know. I think you're going to be sorely disappointed. I think so, watch too. Watch the Bourne movies again, okay? Promise it, me we'll just okay, watch them I'll again. I'll watch the Bourne movies again. And never, ever watch Catwoman. Instead of being tempted to add Catwoman to my Netflix, I've never too. seen it, but I've never, when, I've never wanted to. I've heard it's just that bad. It just, it's not yeah. something that anybody should ever view. Ever. No, Matt, no. Okay. We're saving you from yourself. I don't see. watch Catwoman. Keep that in mind. I'm going <laughs> to watch Catwoman anyway. Don't do it. Okay. Don't waste your time. No. Uh, 2004, uh, the year this came out, this was the number eight grossing movie in the U.S. Above it at number seven was The Day After Tomorrow, which <sighs> I never saw that one either, but that's about with the world freezing over, right, with uh, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal was in it and Dennis Quaid. <laughs> well, I'm, s- I'm sorry. I thought this was a James Bond movie. <laughs> no. Well... No, day I'm after sorry, tomorrow. It sounds like there's it. Okay. A, they, there was a Pierce Brosnan and James Bond called "Tomorrow Never Dies." There was one called "The World Is Not Enough." I don't know. M- most titles sound like a James Bond movie. "Born Supremacy" was the number eight movie for that year. Number nine was "National Treasure" uh, okay. with Nicolas Cage. Uh, I was surprised to see the number one movie of 2004, the year "Born Supremacy" came out, was Shrek 2. Oh. And number two was Spider-Man 2. Uh, oh, oh yeah, that's right. I remember because so. that was almost like the year of... The, there was like a lot of sequels that happened that mm-hmm. year. I don't think that there was actually really too much originality going on that year. No, that's been happening a lot lately, it seems. Oh, God. I know. I wish that Hollywood would have like one unique idea. 
It'd be nice. I can't. They're coming out with a movie next summer called Battleship, based off of the board game. But it's about oh aliens God. fighting battleships. No, no more aliens. No more cowboys. No yeah. more 3D. No more. Oh, <laughs> this makes me sad. Yeah. Nobody wants this. Who cares? Who cares? How are you going to make Battleship the board game interesting? Oh, you sunk my Battleship F two. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sorry. I just don't see it. Uh, so when was the first time you saw Born Supremacy? Last week I talked about I saw it in the theater when I worked at a computer camp and they decided it was appropriate for a bunch of 10-year-old kids, which I thought seemed a bit weird. Um, This was, what, 04? 04. So it's some time ago. You know, I'm pretty sure I saw it in Seven the theater as well because yeah. I liked the first one so much. Okay. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I saw it in the theater. I, yeah. I, for the third one, though, I couldn't tell you if it okay. was more of a rental for me or... Not which I guess we'll talk about uh, next, next time, but next time, right? Uh, I, I'm just gonna say, yeah, I saw it in the theater. Okay, yeah. So, uh, you know, Born Supremacy is the first is the only Born movie I've seen in the theater, and I was terribly confused. Well, and I was as I was watching this, uh-huh. I was thinking of you. Okay, like <laughs> no, I like for, yeah. for probably like the first I don't know twenty minutes, I was trying to put myself in your shoes. Okay, realizing right. that okay, this is this is the first time that Matt has seen this movie, uh-huh. and it's the second in the series. And I would be really confused too. They don't do anything to catch you up in this no, one. No, they don't. And they, I they do a bit with the third one, uh, Ultimatum. But um, you know, with this one, you're just sort of thrown in there. It takes place mm-hmm. a little bit after the uh, first one. But and you have a lot of the cast returning. I found from Born Identity, and the ones that survived at any rate. Mm-hmm. Which is most of them. Yeah. Got Matt Damon is Jason Bourne again. I, I thought he was fine. You know, yeah. he's, he's good at being consistent. And uh, like you mentioned last week, it's just so difficult to have. You're play- he's playing a guy that doesn't really have all his memories, and he has things so straightforward. You know, he doesn't have. So he kind of plays it with a blank slate, but he still makes it interesting. Sorry, I'm just pulling it up here. Uh, yeah, he he does. Um, it, it's exactly the same character. Yep. Um, there's I, I will kind of dive into a little bit more of the character dynamic um, later on in the episode, but you actually see him have a little bit more um, emotion and internal struggle with That's this true. one than you do with the first one. He's definitely a bit more feelings. In oh this one. well, yeah, and we'll we'll get to why. And um, well, you got uh, Franco Potente as uh, Mary as Marie as a uh, mm-hmm. girlfriend. And um, I, I really missed her. And, I mean, she's in this movie a little bit, as we'll get into. Yeah. And I don't like how she looks with the long blonde hair. Really? Was it, was it it's blonde? It's kind of like I a think? blondish red. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just used to seeing her with the short hair, and I thought that looked pretty good. Um, and it's a departure. You make them look different to show, oh, it's a passage of time. Yeah. So, But I imagine these people are changing their haircuts and dyeing their hair every year or so anyway. Cause well, yeah. Even though they're still kind of fugitives. Well, they do that even in, I mean, even if you're looking at, you know, TV sitcoms, it's like everybody mm-hmm. gets a new look for the new season. You know, it's just how it is. Yeah. You know, you, if you're, I mean, I'm a huge Sons of Anarchy fan. It's like Katie Seagal looks different every year um, just because, well, number one, she's like one of the only females. But, you know, it's, you can't really change a biker's look too much. But, um, you know, they do that for, for almost any series. Everybody gets a new look, new haircut, new dye, job, whatever. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so some of the new actors in this movie, uh, you got Joan Allen plays Pamela Landy, is the CAA deputy director. I recognized her from something, but I couldn't quite place what it was. 
Really? Was uh, she in a movie called The Contender, I'm thinking, or something? Oh, I don't my know. gosh. Joan Allen is, she, um, she is a, an American icon, um, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the Contender, you're correct. Uh, I mean, her career goes way, way back. Okay. Um, let me just list off some of the movies that she's been in. Manhunter, which we've referred to oh, a really? few times. Okay. She was uh, Reba McLean. Uh, Peggy Sue got married in 1986. Uh, let's see, Nixon, uh, The Ice Storm, Face Off, Pleasantville, uh, The Contender, I just mentioned, The Notebook, uh, Born oh. Supremacy. The All Notebook, right. she was the mom of the girl. Okay, yeah. Uh, the Born Ultimatum, she'll also be in uh, Death Race. Oh, that wasn't very good. And, uh, well, Born Legacy, pre-production, look at that. Yeah, Pam that's, that's the fourth one. Yeah. So... Guess we'll have to dive into that one after. Uh, we do that on the Born Ultimatum too. episode. Yeah, I mean, there hasn't been much information about that, but yeah. No, Joan Allen is really awesome. I mean, if you yeah. haven't seen her in a lot of different things, I mean, she's just. Um, I I just always kind of envision her as like the consummate professional. Yeah. You know, like she's she good. just yeah, she's really good. Anyway, I'm glad to see that she was in this movie. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Brian Cox was in the first one. He's in this one again as Ward Abbott, and he has a lot more to do. And uh, I think he does a really good job. He has a really great sort of face-off with Matt Damon, or Jason Bourne, near the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that Brian Cox was British, or Scottish, or he's Scottish. Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah. Because everything I've seen him in, he's always got kind of like the gruffer English, you know, like American accent. American, right. I did Sometimes not... Sometimes kind of Southern accent he does a little bit. Yeah. Sometimes. And... Okay, so before we like go into like the rest of the characters, uh-huh. because the reason that I know this is because I actually you had given me the DVD, yeah, and because uh, you got it from Netflix, it's not available streaming. Nope. Um, and I watched every single special feature. Oh, you did. I okay. did. I'm kind wow. of a nerd like that um, right. when it comes to stuff like this. So I, and that was how I know. I'm like, I didn't know that Brian Cox was. You know, I thought it was British, and then the director said oh yeah it's because like, I'm British and he's Scottish so sometimes we kind of you know butt it heads a little bit I'm like oh I didn't know that Brian Cox was Scottish at that point mm. so and that's the only reason I knew because I was it took me a few minutes to really hear his dialect his yeah. accent and um yeah you're not you're f- not from here are <laughs> you I mean <laughs> not that it's bad or anything but it's a pretty yeah. thick accent though you know, regular. it wasn't bad. I mean, it, it just, I guess, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying is, is that I was very surprised because it was how subtle I felt like it was. So, anyway. Yeah. Uh, no, I think he's really good in this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I haven't seen him in movies lately, but he, for a, a big stretch of time, he was in, you know, these Bourne movies and the X-Men too, and uh, it seemed like almost every movie that came out he had some part in. Yeah. So... Um, he's well. We kind of talked about a little bit what he's been in. Um, recently though, uh, it looks like he's got uh one that's completed, one that's in post production for 2011. Oh, okay. Uh, one that's oh, it says pre production for 2011, so he must be doing that now. And then two, uh, sorry, a post production and a pre production for 2012. So he has a lot of stuff coming. So up. he's got some stuff coming up. Yeah, the last one that he was in was Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've been meaning to see that. I'd like to see it, but we'll I see heard it. it was really good. I've heard it's good too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean, Julia Stiles is back in this movie as Nikki Parsons. Yeah, uh, she has a bit more to do, but I'm sorry, um, she just doesn't do anything for me. Uh, she's okay. I'm I'm really confused by what she does in the third movie. But we'll get to that next week. Uh, there's an actor I like that's in this. Carl Urban plays kind of the assassin dude in this one, 
who's named as Kirill. I don't think they, I don't even recall him having that name in the movie. Mm-mm. But it's just one of those things they list in the credits. And Carl uh, Urban has been in a lot of different movies, but not in parts. Like he was in some of the Lord of the Rings movies. He was in Chronicles of Riddick as a bad guy. He was in the new Star Trek as a Dr. Bones McCoy. Yeah. Huh. Uh, he starred in a, a movie based off the video game Doom, D-O-O-M, um, with The Rock. Mm-hmm. Um, and that wasn't very good either. But what do you think of him? Do you like him or not really? You know, I thought he was good. Um, yeah. You know, and because he didn't have very many lines, and again, when I watched the movie and then I went and I watched the special features and they did like just this little bit on him, uh, he, he had said, you know, I was kind of disappointed when I got the script because I, I realized I didn't have any lines. But as I looked, you know, f- through everything that I did, he's like, my actions spoke way louder than words. It was mm. all of the little things that he did yeah. um, that were very much plot driven. Um, kind of, it really did. It helped drive the plot exactly what it is that he did because he was responsible for a lot of stuff. And he just kind of pops up here and then he pops up there and then, oh, look, he's there again um, as an assassin, basically. And um, so his mannerisms and everything are very, uh, very well played in this movie. Right. I mean, he, his character is a bit different from some of the assassins in Born Identity. We know right off the bat, these guys are trying to get him and he's constantly being chased by one guy. Mm-hmm. That doesn't really happen in this one. But it's still a, uh, a satisfying confrontation. Well, I think the, the other thing too is is that I mean he had the confrontation and we'll get it we'll get to it in the plot a little bit but he had the confrontation with the guy in the um, apartment mm-hmm. just as he kind of did in the first one it wasn't his apartment um, and then he has this um, conflict with uh, with Kirill but I honestly I think it's more the conflict with. Um, with Abbott and yeah. with Landy that sure. overshadows. I mean, this is just another. This is just another conflict that's just being thrown Bourne's way. Right, and I do want to say in Bourne Supremacy, I found the plot overall a lot more complicated than what you had in Bourne Identity. Right, I think you have to pay closer attention to understand what's going on. You do, but I still feel like it was pretty simple. I mean, uh-huh. I, I didn't feel like I wasn't like I, I like I missed anything. You know, I might have been distracted because uh, I have a three-month-old puppy. And every 20 minutes, I'm getting up to see if she's peeing on the floor. Oh God. <laughs> so, not the... Okay, well, okay, so we, we've established that Matt can't watch a movie straight through without being interrupted. <laughs> without cleaning up pee off the floor and my well, hands and knees. why you got a new vacuum cleaner. Yes. Not that you're... <laughs> <laughs> vacuum mind. up dog pee, sure. Okay. Okay, anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, this movie begins a few years after the first one, and Jason Bourne and Marie are living in India. I love the way how India looks in this movie. You know, they really film this in different places around the world, and it's very colorful. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of did clothing. You, did you watch the special features? No. Okay. Was it not filmed in India? No, 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 it was. Okay. I'm just wondering, because what you're saying is, is very true to how the, they did the, the special features, because like the, the, one of them was on location. Oh, okay. And it was like right. based off of these locations, so good. Yeah. So, I mean, I thought that India, I kind of wish more of the movie would have been there, I think. It's a bit more colorful, a bit more interesting to look at than some of the cities, uh, the later chases and fight scenes and stuff happen in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but you go and, um, you know, a big thing in the first movie is Jason Bourne didn't know shit about anything. And by the end of the first movie, he knows that he used to be an assassin as part of Operation Treadstone. Mm-hmm. And now he seems to have some memories of his very first assassination job, but he just can't quite remember what happened. Right. Do you think that's an interesting thing in this movie? Because I didn't find that as compelling 
as a mystery as sort of the first one you don't know anything about him right I think a lot of them a lot more of the pieces are definitely put together by the end of the last movie and into this one Mm -hmm. but what I find intriguing is what happens a little bit later in the movie that is like it re-triggers everything all over again right Um, and I guess we'll we'll get into that as well but um, that part of it was completely overshadowed uh, any other kind of memory loss that he may have had. At that point, I didn't care. Right. And they, it's something they play with a bit at the beginning and they get more into it near the end. Yeah. But it's not as central mm-hmm. as you know, the who am I theme right. of the first one. Right. Uh, so there's a big complicated uh, part of the plot involving $20 million that's missing mm-hmm. from the CIA. And uh, P- Pamela Landy is investigating it, right? Yes. So what goes on with that? Um, she's basically in, investigating this. Uh, it's like the Nesky files. And so she uh, sends the... She basically is kind of like uh, overseeing a covert operation. But what she doesn't know is is that somebody, uh, a mole within CTU, has sent an assassin to basically kill, uh, not necessarily Nesky, but the guy that had the file and that had the money. And he was like, basically, it was an exchange of information. Yeah. And so what happens is um, this Kirill guy... Um, sets up this timer uh, and with like two C4 explosives, plants a fingerprint on one of the devices, and then sets it off. And what happens? All it does is it triggers. Um, it just triggers the uh, electricity to go out. And so he goes into this room and then snipe, snipe. He's the two guys in there are dead. Krill takes the money and he walks out. That kind of sets everything up. And of course, Pam Landy gets in a shitload of trouble because she didn't foresee this coming. Right. I mean that's the shorter explanation of it all. <laughs> it's a bit more detailed on the movie, but yeah. Yeah. And I think you explaining it there made more sense to me than what I was having watching the movie. Okay, good. Like I don't, because you've seen these movies more than once. I, I think these are movies I need to revisit in my own time to kind of more fully understand what's going on. Oh, yeah. Because it's complicated plots, complicated characters, and how everything weaves and ties together at the end. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you have that with Kirill. And then in the meantime... um Jason Bourne and Marie, they've they haven't said how long they've been in India, but they seem pretty comfortable with it. Yeah, I'd I'd venture to say maybe I don't know six months to a year. It could be six months to a year, but yeah. they feel sort of complacent. And uh, Jason Bourne is jogging, and he notices he's kind of being followed. Hmm. And so he kind of runs back and tells Marie that he's being followed, and it's by the same Kirill guy. Yeah, he basically goes back to this guy named Yuri. It was it Yuri. Yeah, it's yeah, his Yuri boss. Kirk- it's a Russian, Kirchhoff or whatever. Russian uh, guy. Yeah, and so he sends Yuri sends uh, Kirill to go kill Born, and as Born's running, he like stops. He gets water. He recognizes that hey, there's a car that's out of place. This is India. You don't see nice, you know, Mercedes cars. That's right. Driving around, and so he gets really freaked out. He goes home, uh, grabs a couple things, I think, and then goes to get Maria and says, "Get in the car." She ends up driving the jeep. Yeah, and there's like a a little bit of a car chase. I mean, it's not a huge car chase scene, no, but enough where you get the sense that okay, the sense of urgency in them getting away from this guy is incredibly high. So they eventually, Kirill eventually gets out and brings out his snipey snipey gun, and uh, he's you know he's he's aiming for <laughs> Jason Bourne, but he hits uh, Marie and kills her. And she's the one driving. Yeah, Yeah. she dies. I was very sad that she dies. I was very sad that she died as well. And it wasn't... It was the way that she dies, because she's trying to convince Bourne, like, are you sure? Are you sure that this is the guy? She's trying to make sure that, 
you know, it's like, well, you know what? Don't. I was a little annoyed, honestly, because I'm like, you know what, Marie, as much as I like you, don't underestimate a freaking <laughs> CIA spy. OK, you just right. you just don't. If somebody says get down or drop down or duck, you don't go. What? You, you do just it. do it. Yeah. yeah. If somebody says run. You fucking run. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's just how it is. I understand your girl. Marie and I love you, uh, Miss German, and I was glad that she didn't say Shiza because um, <laughs> honestly that kind of annoyed me in the first one. And was like, oh, it was funny the first time, and then she said it like five times after that. And I was like, okay, I get it. Can you just please say shit? I mean, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So the she's just talking mid sentence, and then bam, you just you don't expect it. It comes out of nowhere. It's it a shock. really does. And then to make matters worse, because she's driving, you know, the jeep kind of loses control when she gets, when she dies. And goes into the. It goes into like their river, the river or something, or something, like something that, yeah. below. And Jason Bourne manages to hold his breath and swim away and not get. Yeah, he tries to shot. rescue Marie. I mean, he, he tries, tries to, to, but like you know, they're in a sinking car. He has to open the car and get out himself. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure with his uh, super spy training, he can tell when someone's dead. Yeah. From being shot. Yeah, and she pretty so. much there was no doubt that she was dead, and he tried to revive her, but then it was like I got I got the sense after the second you know revival session that he was trying to do that it was more of just like I'm kissing you goodbye for the last time, and it's really and, I, I wish she would have lived, but I can see why they did it too. I mean that's a big motivator in this movie. It uh, besides is. him trying to think about his uh, first assassination, is he wants revenge. Well, the other thing, too, is is that the other thing to take into consideration is with the first movie, he said, you're the only person I know. That's right. And That's let's just assume that aside from all the village people or whatever in India, she's still the only person that he knows. The only person he really knows. He really knows. Yeah. yeah. Post, you know, uh, amnesia-ish mm-hmm. sessions or whatever. So it meant a lot to him. And I think that um, by actually killing her, uh, it made for a way more dynamic character in Born just instantly. Instantly, because it's not about being a robot and being a soldier and mm-hmm. following orders at this point. It's trying to follow his heart as well. And it, I think it makes that's him a bit more dangerous, a bit more unpredictable. It does, and it makes him a lot more. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So um, after he basically lets Marie, I mean, he doesn't let her die. That's terrible to say. But um, after that happens, then uh, then what happens, actually? He, he, goes to, uh, he goes to Italy. And I don't oh, yeah. quite recall why he goes to Italy, the specifics. But around the same time, Landy is investigating... Oh, uh, Landy is investigating what happens when her contact, you know, got assassinated. And the fingerprint on one of the explosives matches Jason Bourne, the one that was right. planted by Kirill. Mm-hmm. So because of that, she starts digging into that, digging into Operation Treadstone, and she confronts uh, Abbott about it. And Abbott is kind of shifty. He's like, well, I don't want to talk about it. What are you investigating this for? Right. I'm a patriot. I've served my time with this country. He's antagonizing her, basically, at this point. He is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she looks a bit more into uh, Vladimir Nesky, who was involved with the whole $20 million thing somehow. And he apparently had died with um, his wife in what was a murder-suicide Mm-hmm. But she thinks, oh, I, th- I think Jason Bourne or Abbott, maybe one of them, had something to do. This might have been a murder, I don't think this was. Yeah. A murder-suicide. Right. So she starts looking into that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I mean the 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 dynamic between the two of them. I'll just kind of take that for a second. Yeah. Between Abbott and uh, Landy. Landy. Is, is very different because he's he's treating her as hey you know what I've done this I've done this I've served this I've been here this long and what are you what are you looking for level five you know security clearance on not only are you a woman but you're kind of a younger woman even though she's older mm-hmm. you know but it's um, the way that he treats her is very much um, like a it's kind of condescending it is it's incredibly condescending like he just doesn't believe it and so Abbott basically is doing everything that he can at this point to cover his own ass yep. and you really get a sense of the fact that yeah he's he's a he's bad he's a bad guy there's no getting around that but you see his vulnerability uh, kind of all throughout the movie and so if I'm not mistaken is this around the time that he ends up killing that other dude not quite yet. That Not happens quite yet. a little bit later, but okay. he does end up killing the dude. Okay, cool. That's true. But meanwhile, you got Jason Bourne, like a field officer, recognizes him and tries to interrogate him and all this stuff. And oh yeah, he uh, he fights his way out. Yeah, that was awesome. Actually, it was pretty good. I yeah. mean, again, it's like some of the stuff in the first movie where he uh, is running down up and down stairs and knocking people around. And it's the way that he fights. It's very hand to hand. It's very intense. It's filmed in sort of the same way. Although in this movie, I think overall in Born Supremacy compared to the porn identity, there's a lot more of the shaky camera, especially mm-hmm. in the car chase scenes. Right. And in the theater, that made me very... I didn't vomit, but I felt like I almost became close. Okay. But watching it at home on a TV or on a laptop, it's not as bad. Uh, yeah. It, it's not nearly as bad, but yeah, the um, definitely. Uh, and there, I mean, seriously, if you get a chance, I mean... I don't know when you have to like take this movie back or like put it in, but uh, yeah. seriously, I'd go through and watch some of the special features on this. I'm not; okay. they were really awesome because yeah. um, it, it, they did the whole handheld camera on purpose, and especially when you look and we'll talk about the car scene stuff. Yeah, when oh, you look at how they did that, see, I'm a spoiler. I like to know how they how they do stuff uh-huh. after I've seen the movie, of course. But um, fucking incredible. This movie is incredible how they did everything right right to the explosion in the house of, you know, the the guy, which we'll talk about here in a second, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so he, he basically escapes, born escapes these uh, Italian soldiery holding people right in the airport and he gets away and he, he learns about another person that's living from the Operation Treadstone. So like another trained assassin mm-hmm. dude like he was named uh jarda yarda yeah i don't remember how to pronounce it oh, eh. well. so and he tries to find out more about treadstone trying to find out and turn more about himself and his first assassination mission and he learns that oh the whole operation treadstone was shot down shut down after conklin died at the end of the first movie right and then they get into a fight and this is pretty much the only hand-to-hand combat fight that born has in the whole movie I, if I'm not mistaken. I guess you're right. I'm thinking maybe he, a little bit with the when he escapes the interrogation room. Well, yeah, before. but I mean, that's so easy. I mean, well, he this basically... This is a much bigger this fight. This is a much bigger fight. I mean, this was... Um, I mean, at one point he... And I absolutely love this because at one point um, he uses a rolled up newspaper as a weapon. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and uh, the it, all of what he was doing was this martial art... Um, that was like this old Philippine martial art. It was like, it's called like Kalai or Armis or something like that, or Arnis. Um, and it was a, a very similar to the technique that he used in the first one. So they figured, hey, Bourne's are, I mean, well, Matt Damon is already trained from the first one. So right. they use the same style of fighting in the second one. And um, 
so yeah, I mean, it, it kind of goes to that the first one where he used the ballpoint pen to that's right kind of take down his opponent. He basically used the rolled up newspaper or magazine. Uh, I think it was a newspaper uh, to fight off this. I mean, and this guy is also a trained assassin as well. So yeah. you got to figure, hey, rolled up newspaper not going to do much damage, but let me tell you, it is right. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. I really liked the fight scene. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and the other thing too is that they didn't. There was no music. Absolutely no music uh, or any kind of background noise other than the fight noise uh, for the specific fight scene. And I think um, no music in a fight scene makes the fight scenes more intense. It really does. Because really, you really hear them smacking around or they're knocking their head through a plate of glass mm-hmm. or knocking them against a wall or against a wooden cabinet. Yeah. Or what have you. Yeah. And so towards the end of it, I mean, the Jarda or whatever is dead. Mm-hmm. And so Bourne goes over and opens his cabinet and he like pulls the gas line. Right. And then he, like, walks out of the house. And then as and the operatives, everybody's still tracking Bourne. It's just like they obviously they knew where he was from the Italy, from the escape thing. And so they basically tracked him here. So now they have operatives coming towards the house. And he figures this out after Jarda's dead. And then... Blows up the house. The house completely cool. explodes. Yeah. Huge distraction allows him to mm-hmm. get away. Yeah. It was actually a really cool explosion. I liked it. And again, I think it was one of the only explosions. Yes. <laughs> so I'm trying to think about, think about it. So. There's so much different things that go on in that movie. I know. Uh, See, that's one thing about these kind of movies is just like, every, there's like so much that happens and it's hard to know, like, as you're describing it to an audience that may have seen it or may not have seen it, it's really hard to take you through it because there's so many pieces. That's true. You know, it's not something like RoboCop 3. Yeah. Where it's so <laughs> simple what happens though. RoboCop fights a ninja or you know his partner gets shot or whatever those are very straightforward very straight ahead comic book sort of plots yeah but yeah. you gotta pay a bit more attention watching the board movies oh yeah you do than um, some of the other stuff we've talked about mm-hmm. so uh, meanwhile with the plot you know Landy is still investigating Abbott and Operation Treadstone and she finds out about Nikki who was in the first movie briefly as uh, and so she tracks down Nikki A.K.A. Julia Stiles. Julia Stiles, you're right. And, yeah, at this point, she's tr- they're trying to figure out what kind of relationship uh, Nikki has with, you know, this Paris thing. And so she she basically gives more of a job description. She's like, it was my job to monitor them. It was my job yep. to monitor their vitals, you know, their their health, their mental health. So she kind of knows these guys inside and out just by the monitoring that she did with them. So the fact that they, you know, Bourne said, hey, you know, I want, uh, I want to meet with Nikki. I want to meet with the girl that was in Paris from the first movie. But I have to meet with her alone. I have to meet with her alone. And then, I, of course, I love the fact that it, all of this time, you know, Bourne's like on the rooftop somewhere and he's got his binoculars and he's, you know, calling uh, Landy. And she's like, well, what happens if I can't find her? And he goes, well, it should be easy. She's pretty much standing right next to you. And then hangs up the phone. It's yeah. just like, you're such a <laughs> badass. I love you. Um, so they eventually send Nikki out into. Uh, are they in Moscow at this? No. No, they're in Germany. They're still in Germany. Okay. So. They're still in Germany at this point. They send her, like, right in the middle of the square. Uh, there's, like, protests going on. He eventually snags her. Yep. Uh, there's, like, see, there's like service, you know, secret service people. There's, like, people everywhere trying to keep an eye on her uh, and trying to keep an eye on, you know, Hayward's born. Yep. To capture him. But they're able to kind of get away because it's in the middle of a big crowd, like he said. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he basically interrogates Nikki and... I don't know as if he really finds out what he needs. 
I mean, the whole reason he's in Germany is he... I think maybe, is it from the files he goes through in Jarda's house? Where well, he, he realizes that, oh, Germany, my first mission was in it Germany. It was in Berlin. In yeah, Berlin at this hotel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's trying to find out, and she's like, you were never in Berlin. You were never here. Because she, she either didn't know right, about the operation, or like, it wasn't... He's like, no, I was here. Where, where was I? Where was I? Yeah, so he's basically trying to interrogate her, but she honestly doesn't know him. She's genuinely frightened, um, because yeah. she knows what he's capable of, and she knows the emotional range, and, you know, that's, that's one thing that she said earlier, is that, you know... These people like Born are trained to do all of these things. They're they're like machines. And yep. you know, who, what happens if they don't? If they're not given direction, you know, who's given Born direction now? And she's like, well, that's the terrifying thought. No one is. Born's giving direction to himself. So she already knows prior to going into this what her risk is involved with. Um, and eventually, you know, I guess he gets whatever flashback he needed. Yeah, because he remembers him being driven to his first assassination mission in the car. With uh, and you have a bit of a cameo from from Conklin, Conklin yeah. from the first movie, telling him, "Okay, you got to go in here and shoot these two guys, and you got to go in, make it quick, make mm-hmm. it nice and neat." And in that flashback, I sort of felt bad for Jason Bourne, even though he's trained to be an assassin and all these things. Yeah, he's sort of thrown into it. Yeah, I mean, he basically Conklin says, "You know, get out of the car. Your mission starts now." Yeah. This, and then he said, "This is not a this is not a training exercise or something like that." Right. And so Bourne basically goes to this hotel. He finds the guy, which is Nesky. Yeah. That this thing in is kind flashback. of revolving around in the flashback. Uh, kills him, but then sees, oh shit, the wife is in the room and too. Kills her too. And kills her too, and then makes it look like a suicide. Puts the gun in the wife's hand, and then leaves the room. And obviously, he hasn't remembered this. This is all flashing back to him. He looks over at a photo, sees a family of three with another little girl, with a daughter, with a daughter, and then uh, and then kind of comes, kind of comes to. Yep. So that kind of sets the tone I think for the rest of his emotional uh, journey within the rest of the film and that sounded really gay but I'm um, just you know he did he had an emotional journey Sabrina's gay emotional journey no it's not mine it's Bourne's okay Bourne's gay <laughs> emotional journey <laughs> so as um as all of this stuff is going on again Abbott and Landy are still still going at each other you know? I mean I, I really love my favorite scene in this whole movie is when Bourne confronts Abbott and mm-hmm. he's kind of recording the conversation as Abbott admits to being part of the missing $20 million and splitting it 50-50 with, um, what is it, Yuri? No, I don't know, the Russian guy, the Russian boss of uh, Kirill. Uh, Gre- Gre- Gretchoff or something like that? Yeah, one of those. Yeah, uh, <laughs> well, who knows? So, you know, he admits to being part of stealing the $20 million and all these things, and uh, and Bourne learns that... Marie was never intended to be the target. He was meant to be the target. Mm-hmm. She just got in the way, and he gets really angry at Abbott for making the hit on him, killing her. And there's a line of dialogue. I don't have it written down exactly, but it's something like, he says, oh, she was dead from the moment she meant you. Yeah. I just thought that was really affecting. Yeah, and, it was. And it was a good point. It was a fair point. Mm-hmm. And that he was a man on the run from... You from know, what he didn't know. From that's what he just, didn't know at the time. It. That's the And she was thing. sort of unwillingly unwill- dragged into it when they fell in love mm-hmm. and lived with each other for, I guess, a few years. And then she just got 
killed out of nowhere just because she happened to associate with him. Right. And so this whole time, I mean, Bourne's being set up because they found the fingerprint way back, you know, uh, within the first you know, yeah. 20 minutes or whatever on this little bomb piece. And he's just like, what? I have no idea what you're talking about. And as he kind of meets Landy for the first time, um, I'm kind of backtracking a little bit. Um, okay. Yeah. But because we never really established how they communicated. So Bourne basically calls Landy and kind of follows her. Uh, he calls all the hotels in Berlin and, you know, to find out where she's staying and finally, you know, meets up with her, finally not meets up with her face to face, but basically stalks her um, until he gets to talk to her on the phone. And she's like, well, you killed two CIA operatives from this other thing. Uh, still, this is like way going back to the beginning of the movie. That's kind of how this whole thing right. starts, which I don't think that we talked about. So, um, so it's all been phone conversations at this point, and come to think of it, I I don't think that Landy and Bourne ever come face to face. Not in this movie, no. It's no. all over the phone. But he he does know he does learn that Landy is investigating Abbott, and um, which is why he records a conversation with Abbott where he admits to everything. Right. And he ends up mailing that to Landy later on, mm-hmm. all this incriminating evidence. But meanwhile, Abbott is a bit shook up after Bourne sort of roughing him up, getting the information. And Landy talks to Abbott and sort of saying like, hey, you know, trying to press him for more information. And at this point, Abbott sort of realizes he's screwed. Yeah. That they're going to get him and he can bullshit as much as he wants, but he's going to get caught. Mm -hmm. And so he shoots himself. Yeah. And it's intense, even though there's no blood, you don't really see much. It's out of focus. Even, Even the gun is out of focus. And right, it's off camera too. So, but I, I think it's pretty affecting. When I saw the movie the first time, I thought that really sort of surprised me. Mm-hmm. But he didn't really have a choice. I don't know. He's not. He was so proud of what he'd accomplished in his uh, government career, in his life, that he wasn't going to let himself live and go to jail for embezzling millions of dollars. Yeah, it, shooting himself was more honorable for him. Yeah, as a way to go out. and that I yeah that. I guess I understand that, but, um, and I think it definitely made more of a, the scene more impactful because he basically does it right in front of Landy. Yep. He's just like, you know what? You're right. You caught me, whatever. Bam. And it, I mean, it was intense because it's just like, you didn't really, you thought, hey, she, that he's going to shoot her. That's, yeah, you're right. He has a gun. You he has a gun in his hand when Landy walks in the room because he know or he knows that she knows at this point. Yep. Uh, every you know all of, his, all of his indiscretions, almost every one, because of the other you know kid that they had killed, which was in the first one, which I can't remember his name, so who cares? Um, but yeah, he gets it, so he offs himself. Yep. Lovely. He kills himself, and um, then you sort of get the character of Kirill comes back near the end of the movie, mm-hmm. and you have sort of it's not just one action scene it's a few different scenes lumped into each other but that car chase at the end i think is incredible oh my god yeah. it's where you get the most shaky camera by far but you're having people crashing through windows and you almost feel like you're in the car with the characters as they're getting smacked around and that was that was exactly the point yeah okay yeah when again when you watch the special features um <laughs> that was exactly the point that the director of photography wanted yeah and also that uh Mr. Grass Paul, oh, sorry, Greengrass. Greengrass. Uh, <laughs> that's also the effect that he wanted too. He wanted everything to be very raw, and so when again, when you look, and I won't, I won't spoil this, but when you find out, when you figure out how they do the car chase scenes, and I, didn't they do all this in Moscow, or was this beforehand, before they got there? 
Um, you mean as to where they were in the movie? Yeah. I think it must have been in Moscow because it was after Germany. Yeah. I don't remember. I just, I remember that like the Moscow one, I mean, it was, can you imagine like number one, they hardly ever shoot movies in Moscow ever. And so, I mean, that's kind of a huge factor right there. Um, Second is that it it was butt ass cold. Oh, I can imagine. I mean, it probably nothing compared to, hey, you were just in India X amount of time ago, or you're going to India where it's like, you know, a hundred degrees all the time and then go into some place like, you know, and I think they said uh, that it was in October and it was like, Mm. Minus X amount of degrees or whatever. <laughs> well, I mean, Russia is pretty far north. Yeah, and it was it made for like some really really challenging production uh, things, you know, more so than India um, as well. But the car chase scene, oh my god, I don't think I've ever seen anything so cool in my life. It's really well done. I think you know it's, and it, they make it different from the car chase scene that was in the first one, where it's just the smaller like mini coops or whatever chasing each other through the yeah. and that was fun too well, that was but fun because I mean they're like tiny little cars in a tiny little place and I guess yeah. not you know not, not that Moscow is all that different but just the intensity is, is so much more and the amount chase. of car of the amount of wrecks <laughs> the amount of like absolute yeah. freaking destruction that happens with these cars oh my god just something you really have to see yeah to believe it's you so really hard do. to describe these cars get total they just get oh, smashed totally. and you're oh. like oh my god how many cars did you go through how long did this <laughs> take to film you know and it's just and it was actually really cool they had um because Bourne does all of his own stunts and he does his own training or you know sorry, you Matt, Matt Damon, Damon. yes okay. sorry uh he does all of his own stuff and he did all of his own car things as well they basically wow. um they said hey we're gonna basically take you on a collision course of stunt driving and they did all these like really really cool things and he kind of became his own stunt driver when you think about it i bet stunt driving in some ways isn't so different from doing fight choreography exactly and then you have to practice something so many times mm-hmm. it's almost like uh learning dance steps or something yep we know exactly this moment of to turn the wheel this way and then slam on the brakes exactly and put it in reverse yeah but i mean still that's like you're 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 hoping that the choreography is is with this car that's just you know, it's like it's gonna get smashed. <laughs> yeah, you know it's kind of funny, but um, but yeah, definitely a car chase worth worth looking at. And the thing that I I found really weird is eventually Kirill dies. He does in the car crash. Yep, um, which was cool. Born didn't have to do anything. I was kind of surprised by that. I thought it was kind of sudden. It, yeah, I mean he basically like pushes him into this not even an embankment. It's just kind of like hey, the corner of a wall between two like not bridges but like openings like tunnels yeah and uh he gets out of the born gets out of the car and then comes up to Kirill and has his gun drawn and you so you see Kirill he's all bloodied and everything but he's still kind of moving and you're like what what is born gonna do at this point because right. he knows you were the one that killed marie yep and the way that it's shot with this dark tunnel and then there's a tunnel that has a light at the end of it, I thought it was very poetic that he chose to put the gun away mm. and walk towards the light. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. That's See, when you watch something sense. more than once, you kind of pick sure, up, pick up a lot more things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, overall with the Carl Urban as Kirill, even though I like the actor, I don't think it's as interesting as, um, you know, some of the assassin guys in the first movie. Mm-hmm. No, the, so he was a lot more like... He does the job, but he also... I don't know. He's just in the movie so little. Yeah. 
but yet he has such an i mean but he's he's almost kind of like I think he's almost kind of like the liquid Terminator. I mean, he's that. I think he's that menacing, you know. Unstoppable force in nature. Exactly. And uh, at the end of the movie, Bourne, you know, sees Nesky's daughter Mm -hmm. and apologizes. And I I found myself on an emotional level kind of being moved by the scene, surprisingly. Because, well, that's a real crazy thing to do. I can't imagine. I was thinking, what does the daughter feel like? Yeah. Does she get angry? She's just sort of shocked. And I mean, like, he apologizes, but he's like, but it was my job. Right. It's like I don't know if there's any way you can react to that sort of a scene, that sort of a situation. I just can't. No, and the girl that I mean, they got to play, uh, uh-huh. you know, Nesky's daughter. I mean, her reaction was actually fairly what I would consider spot on. I mean, she had a couple tears, but she just kind of sat there. Yep. You know, I mean, I think you're I, just being shocked. Yeah, I mean, she's she has her own apartment, so she's got. I would assume that she's maybe like eighteen or nineteen years old. Mm-hmm. She still looks really young, but but not only that, this you got to think this whole time. You know, it's been whatever seven eight years she's thought that her parents you know died in a murder suicide yeah that they killed each other basically that mom killed dad that mom killed dad and then killed herself you know kind of like phil hartman but uh (laughs) she talked about the robocop 3 episode Uh uh-huh but you look at that and then you think no she finds out both her parents were actually assassinated by this dude right and so she's scared she's like i don't really and it's to the movie's credit they underplay that scene that they don't have her try to fight born or something cheesy or ridiculous yeah they just kind of let it go. It's a very emotional thing. He's still... Because he realizes that I know what it's like to have a loved one taken away from you. And there we go again with the Marie thing. Mm-hmm. He gets it. It's like something finally clicks emotionally in him. The weird thing about this is that when you look at the facts um, through IMDb, like the trivia, uh-huh. uh, Jason Bourne never smiles in this movie. Huh. Okay. And Well, unless you look at the photo, the photo that he always carried with him of him and Marie, that's the only time that you see him smile. Interesting. Yeah. And it's a photo. It's not him actually smiling in That's the movie. True. Yeah. Anyway. At the end of the movie, you know, Jason Bourne finds out his real name from Landy, which is David Webb. Mm-hmm. He finds out his birth date. Yeah. And Bourne says, oh, I'm watching you. And then hangs up again. So yeah. It's a callback to what happened earlier. basically just says, earlier. you know, get some rest, Pam. You look like shit. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a neat way to end it. Yeah. It doesn't... I don't think I don't think this ending necessarily left things open for a sequel, but there was one, of course, with Bourne Ultimatum. Mm-hmm. Uh, next week, we are not going to do a Bourne Ultimatum episode. We're going to do a special episode on something I call Sour Sequels. That's not a good name for it. But the idea is it's a sequel to a movie that makes you ashamed to have liked the other movies to begin with. Oh, right on. Like, you know, Matrix 2 or Star Wars Phantom Menace or... Oh, boy. What have you. So that, that'll be a be fun one. Trouble. I think I will be in trouble. So uh, until next time for the sequel cast, this is Matt. And I'm Sabrina. Uh, saying that tune in next week for a sequel cast special and the week after for Born Ultimatum. SequelCast.com, SequelCast at gmail.com, uh, Twitter at SequelCast, or at SabrinaPDX. Listen to us on Cascadia.fm, <laughs> uh, Wednesdays, 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific. Good night. Always room in life for this